And today we're talking with Rainy. You've married the farmer. Now what? Hi, Rainy. Hi, how are you going? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for joining us here today. Can you please start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, and how you ended up on farm? All right. Well, th- uh, thank you very much, firstly, for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, so I I grew up um, actually on a crocodile farm, which is a different little bit different I suppose to most um, other farming operations and um, my my parents um, I guess they developed it from scratch and uh, created a business and lived there for 26 years so that was quite different I was always the odd one out at school because I didn't come from a beef operation or a cattle station I was from a crocodile farm so um, that was a bit odd, but anyway, I loved it. Um, and that was here in the Northern Territory. So I've lived in the Northern Territory my whole life and I haven't ever really moved um, very far from Catherine, which is sort of our most central uh, town. Um, my husband um, is born and bred from Gundawindi in Queensland and he grew up sort of on a mixed farming property. And um, moved up to the Northern Territory as a jackaroo on the cattle station, worked his way up to head stockman, and um, now together uh, we run a contract mustering business in the Northern Territory. So um, most of our work is in the Territory, and we do occasionally cross the border and do a little bit over in WA as well. So we're based in um, a small town called Timber Creek, that's where we live. And we also lease 30,000 acres just outside, just on the edge of town. Um, so, yeah, um, my main role is to stay home and create that. And my husband goes out and runs the contracting side of it. And together we have two little kids um, through quite a few hard years of IVF. But we've got a two-year-old daughter, Hallie, and our one-year-old son, Sterling. So that also keeps us busy in between everything. Absolutely. Sounds like a incredible operation that you're both running there. And what a wealth of knowledge to be coming from a crocodile farm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because as you said, that is quite unique. So what did the days look like on the farm there? So it's um, it was a very repetitive sort of uh job I suppose running the farm every morning it's it's quite intensive in the way that you require high um hygiene standards for the crocodiles too so every morning we wash the pens out with sort of um quite high pressure hoses and then prepare meat for the crocodiles every night so that had to be minced every afternoon um and vitamins and stuff put through the meat as well and then um, the crocs get fed in the evenings. Uh, the water and the environment had to be sort of kept at a certain temperature. Um, so, you know, it was quite intensive in maintaining all of that. Uh, 
and we our stock came from the eggs so we would go out into the wild using helicopters mostly sometimes boats and airboats but majority of our collection was done um, with helicopter and slinging underneath the helicopter to collect the crocodile eggs yeah and then bringing them back to the farm um, cleaning the eggs up and then putting them in an incubator and then I guess raising them from a, you know a newborn hatchling right up um, into what we called kind of a wiener crocodile which was about a meter in length um, we did run an abattoir for a few years uh, it just was a bit difficult because we were quite isolated um, we the farm was situated um, about 600 kilometers sort of southwest of Darwin so it was really hard for marketing. It was hard to get skins tanned, um, sell the skins, sell the meat, all of that. Um, so a sort of market to supply wiener crocodiles to the other crocodile farms opened up and then that's sort of what my parents specialised in. So we'd um, hatch them, raise them till they got to a wiener size and then um, we'd sell them as livestock then to the other crocodile farms um, in Darwin and across in in Queensland, um, in yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> what a great childhood! Yeah, it was pretty cool childhood, I suppose. Even even just the location, we lived on the edge of the Victoria River, so you know we'd go fishing in the afternoons or in the morning, whatever suited sort of thing. Um, I had horses, so I'd go riding, you know, on my own. I was I'm an only child, so um, I could just sort of do whatever I wanted and I love that freedom it was so awesome <laughs> let's take a break in today's episode to talk to you about today's supportive link Diddy Miru which means women in agriculture it's women supporting women mentoring of new Jillaroos as well as supporting Australian made and owned follow them on Facebook and Instagram now back to today's episode awesome <laughs> Absolutely. And how was the transition when you did get, you know, what you were after and transitioning to a, a, a beef main role? Tell me about that transition. How did that happen? Uh, so I suppose um, when, so when I left boarding school, I moved back home. I was studying um, my um, private pilot's licence for a fixed wing. So I was working for my parents so that I could have the time to study and save some money to do that. So I worked at home for about two years and then um, I took a job as a first year Jillaroo at Thunder Station up here in the Territory and um, my best friend from primary school, her parents owned the property so I, I guess I knew them um, and they were family friends but I had no idea I suppose about cattle or the cattle industry. I didn't know the difference between a steer or a heifer or a bull or anything, just that they had four legs pretty much. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was different, I, I guess, but I loved it. And um, my position was a stud groom. So I was mainly, I guess, looking after the stud cattle um, for sale and also for the horses. I had a stock horse stud there as well. So. Yeah, it was, um, I guess, uh, on a smaller scale, I was learning because half was horse, which that was the main draw card for me. I was a bit mad at my horses, so that was why I went there. But I also wanted to learn about the cattle. And, yeah, I guess that's where it all kicked off. I was a first-year gillery there, and then I moved into a contracting crew and then worked on some other cattle stations and, yeah, and then got back into contracting again. So 
yeah, I guess um, it was so much for me to learn, but yeah, it, it was great. Everyone was so good at teaching me the ropes and I remember like getting smoked by cows in the yards all the time. I was always injured, covered in bruises and cuts and I'd have a swollen ankle or something. Like I was always injured but you know, you just had to suck it up and keep working through it, I guess, and push through and yeah, no, I look back and I, it was, you know, great um a great introduction into the industry for sure. Yeah. Did you find that you had some transferable skills from from your childhood on the crocodile farm to the the beef cattle? Your work ethic's still the same. Doesn't matter what sort of farm you come off, I guess. Um, and your animal husbandry, I guess too. You know, you're always putting animals first, so making sure you know waters troughs are clean, waters are clean, um, everything's um, well watered, well fed, all of that. I guess I could obviously take across from crocodile farming to cattle farming um and yeah I suppose like caring for the horses and um yeah like bringing them in today and keeping them fed and and well groomed and things like that so we had some sale horses so I had to get them all fit and presentable and things for sale so I suppose there was a couple of little things like that that I was able to utilize I guess. Do you remember when you reflect back on on that time was there anything that really stood out as like a big or steep learning curve I remember like I'd uh we were yarding up some cattle one day and um one of the boys we were walking the cattle in and one of the boys had said oh do you want to trot up ahead and set the yards up and our boss had said he was going to set them up but I thought I'll just go up there and double check and um I just sort of have a quick squeeze and I was like, yep, the yards are fine. We yarded up, but of course the gates on the other side were open, so the cattle went in the yards and straight out the other side. <laughs> so that was a pretty steep learning curve. And always check your gates, I suppose, cool. double check them. Yes, yeah. and, and now I guess I know that that's probably one of the bigger things that you probably should know. Um, and then just skills also like um, fencing, like your basic repairs on fencing and riding a motorbike because I'd never really ridden a motorbike before just as a horse person so yeah that was uh interesting and because I guess I was there um in the stud it was really interesting to learn how to try and make the cattle quiet ready for a sale and stuff so um I remember we had this one bull who was going to be like the feature bull at the sale for the year and um my boss put him in the horse stables and he's like, you need to make this book quiet by August. And I just thought it was mad. It terrified me. I, I wouldn't go in the stables with it. I used to like, if I had to move him into a stable so I could clean it out, I'd let him into the laneway and try and chase it out with a broom. I was terrified of this bull. And um, by the time the sale date came around, um, the bull was that quiet. I could ride it bareback around the paddock and stuff. So I guess that was a huge achievement, but learning the steps and quietening them down, the sale cattle down um, on a stud level for a stud sale um, was, yeah, pretty cool, which is probably great learning. Uh, I mean, we're predominantly Brahmins up here in the Territory. I've actually used those skills, like I've never worked on a stud again, but I've used those skills quite a lot in um, actually helping other friends and stuff who are like, oh, you know, we've got cattle that we want to get ready for sale, what do we do? So, yeah, it was good that I was then able to pass on my 
newfound knowledge onto others. And so when you were starting your contracting business with your husband, tell us a little bit about the process for from the thought to fruition. How did you set that up? Um, started the business before we were together. So he'd only been probably operating for one or two years before I joined him. Um, and he started the, the business with a, a friend of his, so they were in partnership. And I think their main um, thought process was just uh, my husband's never really wanted to just have a manager's position on a station. Um, he's sort of, yeah, never, never really been driven by that. I always wanted, I guess, to run his own business in a way. And I think he thought that there was definitely a market, an upcoming market for that. Um, contractors were just starting to become pretty popular up here at that stage. So um, I guess like any business, when you're starting out, you sort of start small. So they just had a quite a small crew of people, like two or four people, and and they do um, a lot of wiener education and, and some smaller mustering jobs or just topping up stock camps here and there with people. So that was how it started. And I guess, yeah, it's grown quite a bit. So once you joined Rainey, both in, in the relationship as well as in the business, can you tell me um, your role and how that's adapted over the years, especially now that you have kids? Yeah, as I said, I guess I, I must have come in when the business was maybe two, two or three years old. Originally, my partner wasn't that keen on it to start with. Um, but, you know, <laughs> we we didn't get to see each other very often if, if that wasn't going to happen sort of thing, I guess. And eventually he admitted he needed the help. So that was nice. Um, so my role, I guess, originally I was at the time studying um, my diploma of equine tactile therapy, which is basically physiotherapy for horses. Um, and so I said to him, I will come along and be your stock camp cook if I can keep studying. And I only had, I think, six months sort of left of my study. Uh, I remember the first few months, it was fine. I was studying and cooking and it was all working out okay. And the study went out the window, never finished my diploma and I was so close. Um, and I guess, yeah, moved, transitioned in full time into the stop camp then. It wasn't easy. Like we would argue a lot, <laughs> a lot of steep learning curves, I suppose, in both um, both on a relationship aspect and a business aspect, I suppose. You know, I think probably we both learnt a lot off each other in a way. Um, I'd say Potter probably picked a few things up from me and vice versa. And, um, yeah, I guess it worked pretty well. So initially the business, as I said, probably, you know, operated with um, about four people. Um, now, like last year, we the last few years, we've run three stock camps and we employ five people. Pretty big jump. And we sort of never said we'd ever run and like more than one stock camp because we were like, you know, it's it's our um, our name on the line, I guess, and our reputation. So we said, you know, we'd never run more than one stock camp. It would just be the one we ran and that was it. And, well, here we are branched out and we've had three stock camps going. But we've had some pretty awesome um, head stuff and running the, the crews for us, which has been great. Yeah, just sort of start taking a little bit of a step back and working out what's next for us, I suppose, so that, Potter can be home a little bit more with us as a family and, and gets to see the kids grow up and stuff. Yeah. But we don't 
we don't want to give it up altogether because we believe that it is just the ideal environment for the kids growing up. They love going out into the contracting camp. Um, we just got back on Sunday two days ago from spending the weekend out there and um, we just love, you know, playing in the dirt. We went down to the creek for a swim. Um, Hallie gets to ride her horse, which she's really getting into her horses now. And But she only enjoys riding if there's a purpose. It's no good just poking around. Um, if you're behind a mob of cattle, she'll probably nearly go all day and she's not quite three years old yet. So um, she's pretty driven like that. So, yeah, they, they love it. We love seeing them in that environment. And so we still want to, I guess, keep our foot in the door a little bit with that so they can experience all that as well. Rennie, what did you find was some of the tactics um, between when you started the business and what you use now that really helped run that together and and keep the peace and keep the communication? And (laughs) what were those learnings? Yeah, I guess uh, definitely communicating more, like um, don't just you know, keep your thoughts to yourself. I mean, it probably <laughs> creates a lot of arguments speaking your mind sometimes too, but at the end of the day, I think it's justified. Um, yeah, definitely that. Um, I, I guess we learned, you know, we've also tried to develop a better camping setup. So when we first started, we, well, when Potter first started, he literally lived in a horse boat. Um, and then we slowly have upgraded it to a little gooseneck and a big gooseneck and I think you know when we first um our first setup we were setting up a camp you know we'd have everything crammed into the back of this gooseneck so we'd have to pull up and we'd have to pull out tables and chairs and freezers and fridges and set up a, a barbecue or in a hot plate and um string up a tarp and the trees and it was just it took hours and like if you arrived somewhere late at night that was a huge a huge task setting the camp up whereas um, over the years um, Potter I guess has developed a better um, set up within the camp so that you know it only takes a half an hour an hour to set everything out up so you know um, we don't have to drag a gas bottle across the flat and hook it up you know to a barbecue we've got that all in a shipping container now so you literally just turn the gas on and you go um, you know we've got pull out barbecues and pull out fridges and everything's I guess we have a more portable kitchen now, not just the bush kitchen. So that's probably been a pretty big one, um, I, I suppose. Um, on probably more a staff level, we used to, um, you know, employ backpackers and less experienced people and never used to bother getting reference checks on people. And I think we've got bitten on the backside a couple of times by that. So, you know, we always... Um, call a few references for employees now and do a bit more homework in that aspect and then I suppose um, that's definitely lifted the quality of our staff which obviously then lifts the quality of your work so yeah. Was there anything that surprised you Rainy about moving to where you are now and, and the way things operate? Because I grew up on quite an isolated property anyway um, because like the crocodile farm where I grew up was on the other side of a of the Victoria River, so it flooded every wet season and, and we were stranded. So isolation, you know, I've always been familiar with that. Um, distances, I've been familiar with that. Yeah, so, so I think I was going into staff management, I guess, that, that's that been a huge, probably, adjustment because 
yeah, as I was saying, like isolation w was not a problem that that's quite natural to me, I guess, after my upbringing. Um, but working with the larger groups of people and managing large groups of people have probably been pretty challenging. Um, and that, I think, is just something that we've just sort of had to learn along the way and and probably try and develop a, a bit of a, a balance with work and a social life. You know, we employ young people. Um, you know, they're between, say, 18 and 25-year-olds and they can work hard, but they need to be able to party hard as well. So, you know, allowing them that time and, and giving them that, I guess, um, helps helps um, their work ethic in the long run and, and things. We also employ a lot of people who are really keen on horses because a lot of our mustering work is done on horseback. So um, for that reason, it seems that we employ a lot of girls. We have probably 95% of our applicants every year are girls, um, which is great. But I, I think that is mainly due to the fact that we are so horse orientated. Um, and so being able to supply them with work with the horses is a huge one as well. Like they love being able to do that. If we have a job where it's, you know, just yard work or maybe it's just motorbikes, then everyone seems to crack the sads a bit because they want to go back to their horsework. So I guess, yeah, just trying to make sure that our staff um, are happy and, and that, you know, I guess makes the business function a little bit better. Yes. And Rainy, what's been the biggest hurdle while you've been out there? Because work work is so seasonal, um, probably finances are, is a huge one. Uh, you know, our mustering season is March through till sort of November, December, depending on the rain. So our season is totally dependent on the weather. Um, but, you know, there's four to six months there that we don't have work. And um, which I guess, you know, is primarily a lot of farming operations because it is seasonal stuff. So for us, um, the wet season, when we don't work, we are maintaining vehicles, upgrading equipment. Um, at home here, we're trying to get on top of all the jobs that we haven't been able to do because Pot has been away. So get on top of our fencing and our own mustering and things. And so of course, all of that costs money, but we don't have income coming in because we're not out mustering for clients. So um, that's, that's probably a pretty big um, hurdle for us is just learning to manage those finances a bit better um, to make sure that from a seasonal aspect we can um, balance through the year. I mean, we also use that time on our lease property um, here to put in our inf like infrastructure. So, um, you know, our agreement is to um, put in improvements, so putting in fencing and waters and um, new assemblies and gateways and things. So, yeah, and once again, that's tied back to finances as well. But um, I guess when we took on the lease block too, we probably didn't realise how difficult it was to go to get those improvements done purely probably based on our time because... Um, yeah, put us away so much and um, as much as I like trying to get out and do as much as I can, I'm not really going to be able to put a new fence line in on my own or anything or, um, yeah, run that poly and install troughs and things like that. So that's been a pretty big challenge. It's 
been a slower journey than we probably anticipated. Um, you know, I guess when we first got our lease, we thought, oh yeah, that'll be, you know, great. We'll um, we'll get all these things in and you know get up get cattle together and things. But yeah, just those improvements have taken us a lot longer, and and that's purely just because of our own time and and finances. But um, you know, we always put the obviously the clients come first. So uh, yeah, we do all the other jobs for everybody else, and then if we have time spare here and there, we um, hook in and do our own. Yeah, yeah. And you now do have your two beautiful kids there with you. So how was introducing them um, to the world and then to the business? As you say, you know, you bring them with you as well. So um, tell me a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, so I think um, introducing children from a mother's point of view is a big shock to the system when you're so hands-on. Um, it's probably taken me, I think, three years to learn it's okay to take a step back, I guess, or that my role is now different. It, it, for me, it's taken quite a while to make that adjustment. Yeah. Um, and we have, you know, always from the start, you know, when we first found out that um, I was pregnant, we always said, you know, the kids will fit into our lives, not the other way around. You know, they'll just sort of slot in and tag along with whatever we do. And we do try and do that as, as best we can, I suppose. Um, so I, here at home, because I'm here um, for long stretches on my own while Potter's away mastering, um, I still, I guess, like currently some of the jobs that I'm doing is obviously doing the bore runs check on bores and troughs and waters, um, checking on some fencing and we were trying to repair some fencing that got washed away in the floods um, that we had last year. Um, we've got horses, I've got brood mares in, we've got a stallion so I'm trying to serve um, mares at the moment and feed them and some yearlings. So they're just some of the tasks I do every day and the kids, they just have to tag along. Um, but you know, because they've never known any different um, they're fine with it. We've, I guess, made adjustments um, like by getting, say, a a kid's car seat and putting it in the buggy uh, and and that's given me a lot more freedom, I guess, out on the block so I can still get around with the kids doing jobs like that. It's safe to leave them in there if there's all the horses around. Um, yeah, or, you know, if, I, if I've got to go in the ute and do the check the waters and yeah they just have to tag along um i'm pretty i'm pretty into my routine so i'm pretty strict on routine a fair bit and i do try and pick times of the day that are going to work better with the kids of course to do those jobs so you know if i can do it while they're at creche i will um because yeah we've got a great little creche here in timber creek that the kids go to a few hours a day uh, and yeah if i can duck out there um, I will, but I'm also working a small part-time job at the local school here as well. So on top of um, looking after the property and helping with the business, I do that. Um, but yeah, so for example, like if I want to go out and feed the horses, um, I normally pick it when it's Sterling's nap time and he'll more likely like fall asleep in the car so that when I get out to the horses like he just sleeps in the aircon while I 
make up the feeds. And it's safer that way too, because at least I know he's not going to get trampled by the horses and, you know, have to have eyes in the back of my head and things like yeah. that. So, yeah, like I do try and, I guess, pick nap times and have the car seats to make life easier. But, yeah, I guess they, they tag along. Um, and then with, like, our contracting business, it's much the same. Um, if we go out to camp and I want to go on a muster, um, either Potter or if we have a camp cook working for us, um, one of them will have the kids in the Toyota on the tail of the mob and I'll get to jump on a horse. And if the kids get hungry or need to be breastfed or something, I just trot back to the car and sort them out and then go back onto the mob. So, and for me, that's great. That's a great balance. Um, I guess that's what fills my cup. So, yeah, yeah I, love, I love it when we can do that and you know I guess I love that the kids are part of it at the same time yeah yeah absolutely so Rainey what would be your top advice for someone moving to a farm or into a sorry (laughs) or moving into a stock camp contracting business for the first time um I think like definitely um you know Get involved in your community. Um, we're on a lot of camp draft committees, or not a lot, sorry, but, you know, we've, we've been on a few different camp draft committees. We volunteer at a few of the camp drafts with our crew in the backyards or on the gates. Um, uh, I have also sort of been in the past run a couple of fundraisers um, for Dolly's Dream, which has been like a big sort of um night of you know dinner and entertainment and things like that so I guess by joining committees and being involved in your community um, it not only I guess benefits the community but you then develop friendships and um, and that of course then helps you like um, so because I am here at home I guess on my own a lot it can be lonely, but um, I've met some other of the mums here in, in Timber Creek and, you know, there's probably only another three or four families here, but it's been fantastic to be involved with them um, and, I and you know, the kids have allowed us to, I guess, develop those friendships. So, I mean, there's lots of different ways, whether it's with a committee, whether it's a mums and bubs group, um, whether you join... Uh, uh, my husband's on the um, local authority uh, council group so they have quarterly meetings um yeah I think that's really important it's probably one of the most important things um because particularly if you're isolated um you know even if you're if you're moving out to a cattle station or a farm where I guess your community is harder to access um you know I guess that's when yeah, like if you have a hobby or a sport or something where you can get involved with people. Um, it's just, I guess, to help help find, uh, you know, your group, your tribe, your village, whatever you want to call it. And um, if you have a bad day, it gives you someone to vent to or, you know, I don't know if you want to have a moan about your husband, then you can do that or whatever. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just surprising, I guess, by having that, how many people will have your back you know, if something goes wrong or if you're having a bad run or whatever, it's just nice to know um, 
you know, I guess that you've got those people on your side and you can ring them at any time and things. So it just, yeah, it develops into really good friendships. And I think that that's probably just, yeah, the biggest, yeah, the biggest piece of advice I could probably give when when uh, moving um, out bush or, yeah, somewhere rural. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Rainy, for joining us here of You've Married a Farmer, Now What? Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you.